Man, it is so good to see you. I heard Mikey when I was in the back about folks that are being here to watch people get baptized. It's gonna be so great. I wanna welcome you here in Powell Auditorium. I wanna welcome you that are watching online. We're really great that you've made this a part of your weekend plan and uh, calendar. I wanna thank you, uh, or thank some folks for the last series we just finished up called Handle with Care, a series about understanding God's creation and design for our sexuality. I wanna thank Heather and Robbie and Brenda Briselli. Man, they just did such a great job sharing what God has redeemed in their lives over the last two weeks. I wanna thank our productions team that if you were here in Powell, you saw them continue to turn a stage into a living room two weeks in a row, but those of you watching online never saw that. And I just appreciate their hard work to make something like that happen. And I just wanna thank you. I know over the last really five or six weeks, it has been a heavy series, but one that we believe is going to continue. Our whole goal is always to better prepare you to change your worlds for Christ. And we feel like you having an, a rich understanding of the, the foundations of what God has done and the way he's built and designed you is really, really important. So thanks for being in that with us. And like we talked about, all of our campuses this weekend at all of our services, folks will be getting baptized. And it will be this powerful uh, reality. People are not coming to Christ when they're being baptized. They're demonstrating they've already made that decision and they're being included. This is this really powerful, um, active thing of being included into the greater fellowship of his people. And that word fellowship has been one. I grew up in Baptist churches and, and that word fellowship was so confusing to me. Because it usually, I mean, it was such a powerful word in my church. We literally had a part of, a, of our campus dedicated to fellowship in the fellowship hall. Exactly. There's literally a place on campus called that and you go there. And when you go there, you sit and eat. So fellowship meant a place where you go and sit and eat. At least that was my understanding and nobody told me different. Until I finally realized I was doing some uh, process and planning for me as a youth pastor. And I'm reading this book on, of all places in a youth ministry book. I come across this definition that fellowship is best defined by the New Testament one another's. One another, and it just made all the sense in the world. I had to reread it a couple times. And then I realized that's exactly it. The way that we are to behave towards each other, fellow followers of Jesus, that's what fellowship is, not a table with pie after service. Which by the way, I do not mind pie after any service, that's all good, but that's not fellowship. And fellowship, by the way, we'll often even use that words when we just have good conversation. You're gonna find converse with one another is not a biblical one another. But there's all kinds of these very active ways that we relate. The way that the people of God in his new community, the people in, in the church, are to respond, are to behave towards, well, you got it, one another. So today we kick off this brand new series. If you have a Bible, make your way to 1 John chapter 4, almost to the very back of your Bible, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 4. Have your notes ready to go. We'll dive in in just a second. And we're going to begin with the most fundamental, foundational one another of them all, the one that Jesus said mattered most, that we would love one another. Love one another. And this idea of love, the problem is, it's really what he said was to agape one another. We'll talk more about that in a minute. 
But this idea of loving one another, the problem in our English language is when we say things like, I love my favorite team, I love my dog, I love my wife, we hopefully mean very different things for each one of those categories of things we've just said we love. So when a word in our English language means everything, it tends to mean nothing. So we're gonna work hard at the front edge of defining what is love. Baby, don't hurt me no more. If you didn't grow up with 80s music, I'm just sorry for you. It's so good, it's so good. So we're gonna dive in. Let's, uh, let's take a look. Number one in your notes today. You know what love is when you understand how God loves you. This is how we understand what love is because we begin to understand, God reveals in his word how he has loved us. What we're gonna find is we look at this first one another, one of the things that's powerful about these phrases in the New Testament is they're always predicated, these words one another, by what we call an imperative verb. And it's a second person plural, so meaning y'all, this is another thing lost on our English language. I can say you, hi Venus, or I can say you, and it's the same word. But in the original Greek, it would be you singular and y'all this way. So our Texas friends really help us out a lot. And that's really how we should understand. These are all second person, plural, imperative verbs. And imperative verbs are not suggestions. They're commands, they're directives. Y'all are called to, as we'll see in a minute, love one another. Now, this book that you're in, 1 John, 25 times the word love is found in this book. Watch this, that's second in your entire Bible. And this is only five short chapters. And watch this, the only book that includes the word love more, the Gospel of John, which is much, much longer, 21 chapters long, and includes it 39 times. So these, this is why we'd even call sometimes John what we say sometimes, right? The apostle whom Jesus loved, he'll use that language about himself. But we call him the apostle of love because he writes prolifically about God's love towards us and our love towards others. Now, because they do such an amazing job at just encapsulating big ideas in a short amount of time, I want you to watch this video from my friends at the Bible Project and it's just entitled, What is Agape? Take a look. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's gonna feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day, it was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachma. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. 
But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. All right, I love that video. Just such a great job. Let's take actually one of the phrases that was in that video and use as a definition for this Greek word agape. It's in your notes. Agape is seeking others' well-being while expecting nothing in return. That is the love of God. This is what's so powerful when we come to understand that. That's the love with which we've been loved. A God who loves us, meeting our needs, yet not necessarily needing anything in return, but simply loves to love, loves to give, loves to meet needs. So the, the video ended with the passage we want to start in today. Your Bibles are open. First John chapter 4, look at verse 9. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And here's this great, like, I love this in the Bible. Here's a definition. This is love. Not that we love God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I love that so much. I love when the Bible is just gonna make something so perfectly clear. This is love, don't get it wrong. And and the problem is, is that if you've grown up in church, I told you back to my Baptist roots, but if you've grown up in church and you've heard uh, over decades maybe how much God loves you, it can just become that repetitive thing that, uh uh-huh, I know. But man, if you can hear that with fresh ears, that was my prayer in getting ready for our time together this weekend. God, give me fresh ears and eyes to see, to understand how you have loved us. The creator of the universe, who doesn't owe us anything, speaks us into existence and recognizing what it's going to cost him, not just all the beauty, not all the grandeur, not having only relationship, with beings that he created, but knowing they would violate his way. And from the very beginning, already knowing to create the world was to put his son on a cross for you and me. God had that kind of awareness before he ever breathed anything into motion. This is the love. He sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He met the greatest need that we had. So if you can try to pull that together, try to grasp that almighty God doesn't just love the world, he does, but he loves you in the world. And everything that you read in the Bible of the way he has poured out his love into you is for you and not just those sitting near you or those in some other place. And that's powerful. That should just sit within us for a moment and go, God, I am so incredibly undeserving of any kindness you would show to me, but yet you seem fit to meet my need before I even knew I had one. This is love. So when we understand how God has loved us, meeting needs, expecting nothing in return, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, step one, we receive it with joy and gratitude. And we go, God, thank you for loving me this way. But it doesn't end there. Because we quickly realize it's something that we're supposed to give to others as well. That leads us to number two in our notes. Once you receive God's love, you come to understand it's meant to give away. Once you receive God's love, not just know about his love, but respond to his invitation in the gospel with faith, once you receive God's love, then you understand it's meant to give away. The next couple of verses in 1 John 4, beginning of verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, so he's setting up an axiom, since God's done this, we also ought to love one another. And there's the first of our one another's. No one has ever seen God, But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Watch this. It's the sign of an immature Christian. And that is not a a meant to be derogatory. Just listen to the rest of what I say. It's a sign of an immature Christian who is really willing to receive the love of God, but not interested in giving it away. It'd be like you with one of your kids and you would walk into a space and you'd realize there's someone there with a need. And as a parent, a parent who completely takes care of all of the needs of your child, 
Your child does not have want, doesn't know if they're gonna have another meal. Your child is fully taken care of and you reach into your pocket and you have some money and you give it to your son or your daughter and and instruct them, now go give this to them. And as your son and daughter receive that money to go over and hand to someone in need, kind of just put it back in their own pocket and go, I cannot wait to spend that on me. And you're going, that is a horrible child, right? That is a bad thing. You do not do that. That money was intended. I gave it to you intentionally to give it away and meet this other person's need. That to me is a beautiful picture of what God says when he says, I've loved you so fully, so richly, so profoundly. You don't have a need outside of what I do and have done for you. Now that you've received that from me, give it to those around you. And it's a sign of an immature Christian who would say, God, I love the love I get from you. I'm just not interested in giving it away to anyone else. Now, to be fair, nobody just says that. Like, oh, God, thank you for the love. I'm not giving, no, no. It's not about though what you say. Loving one another, the video did a great job. Love is not a feeling, love is an action. And so we demonstrate that truth with our actions, not so much in what we do or don't say. So this directive is clear. And once we understand the love we've received from God and we clearly hear, like we just did, this directive to give that same love away to the people in our lives, the same love that we've received from God, then we realize this is an expectation. This is something that I am called to And and it's now an issue of obedience or disobedience if I choose to love or not love those in my life. Let's break it down another level. I, I said a moment ago that love isn't about a feeling. If you feel something towards someone, this agape love was really clear about meeting needs and expecting nothing in return. But, but if we want to get like really practical, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he wrote words that probably many of you recited to each other or a pastor or officiant read from 1 Corinthians 13. This is a very well-known passage and I love that these words were read at your wedding, but can I say real clearly, that was in no way out of context, but the greater context is all about a local church who was not loving each other. They were rude and at times vile towards one another. And Paul is saying, hey, let's do a timeout. Let me help you understand what does love look like? First Corinthians 13, verse four. This is love with boots on the ground. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's boots on the ground love. And this is not saying, this is, the, this is merely the love of which God's loved us with. And I say merely in the sense of that's amazing, but this is intended in the context, this is how we're to treat one another. 
This is the one another of love, all these things. And I have found over the years a great litmus test that I apply to me. This would be horrible if I just said, it's a great idea for you. But I've done this to myself. I've inserted my name where the word love is in 1 Corinthians 13, four to seven, and read it out loud and asked the question, is this true? Is Todd patient? Is Todd kind? Does Todd keep records of wrong? Man, what a great way to just self-evaluate how am I doing at loving one another? Am I embodying these actions and behaviors towards the brothers and sisters in my life? This is, this is what love looks like. This is how we love one another and how we give it away. I want you to see part of this passage that I think is so powerful and so profound. We read it a moment ago. No one has ever seen God, so track this. John's writing this. He doesn't just say it to say it, right? Like that would be weird if he's just like, no one's ever seen God, which is a very true statement. <clears throat> but look at the next thought. But if we love one another... If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. John in essence is saying this in your notes, the invisible God becomes visible when we love each other the way that he's loved us. <clears throat> this is how John's saying it. The invisible God that no one has ever seen becomes visible when we give to others, when we meet the needs of others with nothing in expectation. And by the way, as your circuits are kind of working through and you're processing this in your own life, John and Paul are not referring to simply the people under your own roof that you do life with. And you can make a case that sometimes those are people harder to love than those you interact with only occasionally. But the reality is this isn't just about your family nucleus that you do life with. This is in the church with brothers and sisters in Christ who don't look just like me, who aren't the same age, who don't have the same socioeconomic standard, who have all kinds of different interests and vocations. This is the beauty when we love one another, where a, an onlooking world, we'll get to this in a minute, scratches their head and goes, why would a group of people who don't have any other obvious things in common, but the commonality of Jesus, why are they treating each other this way? The invisible God becomes visible when we do those 1 Corinthians 13 things towards one another. The world sees the character and the nature of God. And I just absolutely love that. John is actually reiterating what he had heard Jesus say in the last conversation they had before Jesus would go to the cross. John chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, here it is again, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must, again, love one another. Watch verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how love is made complete. God's love is made complete among us 
when we love each other in such a way that a world looking on the outside, those in your oikos who have not yet placed their faith in Christ and they watch the way you connect with other followers of Jesus, they watch the way you give and sacrifice and meet needs of others who follow Jesus. And when they see that, they will know you are my disciples by the way that you agape each other. This is what Jesus said, and John is simply taking those concepts and playing them out for local churches. Notice both of these realities from John chapter four and from John, first John four and John 13 are predicated by if, if you will love one another. So John is saying the choice is yours, the choice is mine. Are we going to be of those people who demonstrate the sacrificial love towards each other or will we just say, God, it's so great to be your kid and be loved by you. God has built us for community. He's built us as a family. None of us are single children. None of us are only childs. We're all built for this kind of community where we get to rub off on each other this kind of life on life. Can I just say where this happens best at HDC, and it's been this way literally for decades, is in what we call now growth groups. They've been called a lot of things over the years, small groups, home groups, family groups, whatever. But it's when you commit to be in relationship with another group of Jesus followers that you actually have an opportunity. Track this, loving one another outside of just unique opportunities here and there will never happen here. Can I be clear but not unkind? It will never happen there. It will never happen sitting in a worship service. It'll never happen watching online. Because those things were not designed to play out and engage the one another's. Groups, smaller communities have always been the place where the one another's get traction, where the one another's get played out. And that should cause you then to ask some questions because if you're a part of HDC, but not involved in any kind of a group, any type of gathering that meets, and we'll talk more about what they do when they meet, the reality is there's probably something missing. There's probably an opportunity, and I'm gonna say, I know, I know you. I know you have great opportunities in your everyday life, in your relational world, in your oikos. And you have opportunities to meet the needs of people maybe you've never met before, maybe those you do know at some level, but this, this passage, this one another idea that we're gonna look at for the next few weeks, this is all believer and believer, brother and sister. This is the way these are to work out. And this is something that God has told us. We have to raise the value of this. We have to recognize the community that we're called to. And I want you to know this, even for those of you involved in groups, notice that it doesn't say, and the invisible God becomes visible when you have a really good conversation on a Tuesday night. No. The invisible God becomes visible when you answered all of your preset questions correctly before you came to group. No. The invisible God becomes visible when you demonstrate sacrificial love to one another without any expectation in return. That's how God shows up.
in your midst in powerful ways. Joanna and I would say, we really weren't in any kind of a small group of any type before we came to HDC, what we call 1.0, 21 years ago. And it was in those environments that we first became aware of what does a, a small group look like? How does it function? How does it behave towards each other, towards one another? And I'll tell you, I have, we have such fond memories. Our ministry then was a lot with family ministry, so we were always a part of family groups. And I think back on our 1.0 experience and I think about the life on life, not just getting together weekly, but the ways that we would meet needs within our group. And not just when we met together in someone's home once a week, but when we were out and about serving together or out and about on a, a trip together. That kind of care, put you ahead of me kind of attitude was demonstrated time after time. And I wanna tell you, I don't wanna oversell groups as though they are all just rosy and, and you're sitting there, if you're in a group today going, man, I wish I was in Todd's group. My group's rough, okay? Well, I don't wanna oversell. We, when we were figuring out groups at the front edge, they were difficult, awkward, and challenging. So I don't want you to hear that just that's just la la land. As soon as you step right in, you're good to go. But I will say, even in the difficulty and awkwardness, it was even worth it then and just became so meaningful as we then with a new group just did time over time. So I want you to hear this idea where the one another's get practiced best and most consistently are in groups. Not here on the weekend, not watching online, but it's when we're together in groups doing life together. We'll talk more about that before we're done. Finally today, number three, you give away love best when you're nearby. You give away love best when you're nearby. We're shifting to Matthew 22. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The video did a great job, if you remember that one sequence about two sides of the same coin, which is most important, loving God or loving your neighbor, they're both equally important. Jesus can't just say one. Loving God wholeheartedly, loving others selflessly, this is the sum of what all the law and the prophets are talking about. You can boil it down to these two incredibly significant concepts. And one can't be without the other. They're inextricably connected. So when we see that, then we process this idea that this kind of attitude, God is just you and me. This Lone Ranger Christian only child attitude is nowhere in scripture. It's always about community. It's always about the brotherhood. Watch this. It's always about the fellowship. This great understanding of this word, it is the one another's. In your notes, note this, the Greek word that we translate as neighbor and the actual English word itself mean a near dweller. A near dweller, sorry, I didn't write out the whole word Greek there in my uh, notes. But the Greek word, it means a, a nearby dweller. And we even found that in our Proverbs series. If you were here with us over the summer, we saw the word neighbor and friend is actually the same um, Jewish word, and it, just the context would help you know, but we said they're really close because people you lived close by are people upon which you would need to rely. 
That's just how it worked. You didn't have emergency services that could come to your house. You couldn't wait for neighbor or uh, relatives to come from far away. You needed neighbors who weren't just there. They needed to be there for you and you for them. So this concept of love your neighbor is a powerful concept, not to be confused, obviously, with only the people who live on either side of you, but it's this idea of people who you are in proximity to, people who you are nearby. Those are the ones that God has called you to love. Now, as you process that, um, I think back to this concept of groups, one of the things that's really sweet and beautiful about just having a rhythm One of the things we'll talk about before we're done today is this idea of the rhythms from a thing that we're introducing to our church called Rooted. And the idea of the rhythm of, hey, weekly or every other week, our group meets. And and as we connect, I know for me, many times I've been in roles where I've been the one who needed to lead the group. And I get that and I understand. But I would come into a group and, and I would just be, man, I'm exhausted from the day, from the week, from the month that we're in, and I just don't know, but I always, Joanna would say the same thing, we'd walk away from our time together so glad for mutual encouragement, so glad for the way we could pray for someone who was in need, so glad for the way on occasion we could meet a need within our group because we were nearby. We establish the rhythm of doing life together. We're going to gather on consistent occasion so we can keep connections, so that we can keep doing the one another's. So it's not random and just buckshot. It's actually something that's a part of our community. It's rhythmic. This is God's intended design. And it looks so different in Southern California 2,000 years later from the early church in Jerusalem. But what I'm saying is God doesn't intend it to be changed or morphed to fit our culture. God says one another's matter no matter when or where you live. And they're for you to be committed to, for you to say, I'm gonna be a part of a Jesus community. It's encouragement to join a growth group. It really stems from these two ideas. Number one, God said it's important to have a group so you can consistently engage not just this one another of love one another, but all the other ones we're gonna talk about in this series. But it's also important too that as you wrap your life around the principles, around the the commands that God gives, it's so important. We don't ever wanna go, God, I wanna pick this one and God, I like that one. It's like, God, this is who you've called me to be as your follower. I don't wanna keep making excuses. I wanna be someone who steps forward in faith. And I just want you to know, I want you to experience the great joy, the great just idea of belonging like you can't get anywhere else than when you belong to a group. And if you're not, look at this in your notes. If you don't have an answer for where you presently are engaging the command to love one another, then there is a foundational piece missing in your obedience to Jesus. There is a gap, there is something big. At HCC in my 1.0 time, we talked about three meaningfuls, meaningful worship, meaningful relationships, and meaningful roles. And this idea of meaningful relationships were groups. This is where we connect. This is where we do life together. This is where we live out the rhythms. And I just wanna encourage you in this season, as we're even coming out of still challenges that still beset us related to the pandemic, but as we're moving forward and we're realizing, I don't want my life to be set over here on hold. There are things I'm intended to keep stepping towards. Now is the time. 
So let me tell you, and I'll break it down to this as we close. Here is what we would say, this is how you step forward. This thing called rooted, I told you about a minute ago, and I had said a few weeks ago, you're gonna hear a lot about it in the fall. It doesn't feel like fall, it was 99 today, but it's fall nonetheless. If there's pumpkin stuff around, it counts. And so um, as we're into this season, we have right now 100 people going through rooted that are not in a group yet and getting assimilated into groups. Watch this, we have 600 people who are currently in growth groups that are going through rooted together. And so we have about 700 people at our church right now going through rooted. And, and I told someone this last week, we don't do rooted because of rooted. We do rooted because of rhythms. And that's what this whole idea is based on. We'll tell you more about it later, but it's all about taking these things that Jesus's people have realized from his word have been important for the last 2000 years and embracing those and saying, this is gonna be important to us as well. So the way that you take a next step towards getting involved in a growth group, our new strategy, our new just way of building groups is all through Rooted. So you could do this, you can type the word rooted to 64567. What I'll come back to you is a link and our next rooted session begins in January. I know that feels like a million moons from today, but I would say this, the beautiful thing of that is on the one hand, you don't have to go, how am I gonna make room in my schedule today? Don't worry, you got four months to figure it out. But rooted will start in January on the 9th. And I would love for you to say, Todd, I wanna be committed to be in a community with other brothers and sisters where we can live out the one another's. That's, that's what we're here to do. We wanna help you with that. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you today and we are so grateful for this very first foundational one another, that is that of the idea of loving one another. And God, we would have no idea of what that looks like, no idea of even how to do that if it weren't for the fact like your word says that you loved us first. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. If you're here today and you would say, Todd, I don't even know if I would even be in a group, if I would know how to behave these ways towards others, I haven't first responded to what God says is start here, start with this first idea, and that is responding to the love that he's poured out over me. It begins when you would A, admit. Admit that though God created everything perfect, the world you live in and you yourself are far from it. This is what it means to be a sinner. Would you admit that you're a sinner who needs saving? Would you be believe? Would you believe that this Jesus that we've talked about today, that he did live a sinless life, that he did die a sacrificial death, that he was raised supernaturally on the third day. He did all of those things to set things in motion, to make the atonement, that word we've used a lot today, to make the atoning sacrifice for your sin. Would you believe that what Jesus did, it covers you? And would you see choose? Would you choose to say, Jesus, I put my confidence, my faith, my trust in what you've done for me, not in a checklist of things I can do for you and I receive your incredible mercy and grace. And I wanna live the rest of my life following your example. You can make that first seminal, essential decision today. 
and I pray you wouldn't let another go, day go by until you do. These folks that you're watching getting baptized today, they've all made that decision. This is now their demonstration of this inclusion into our fellowship. I pray you would take that step too. Father, we love you. Thank you for the goodness of who you are and the way you have loved us so we can love one another. We pray in Jesus' great name, amen.